0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is the Blythe Family Team with CBS Home Real Estate in Omaha, Nebraska. Last year, they closed 128 transactions with a total sales volume of 24 million. Their average sales price was 187,000, of which 54% were buyers and 46% were sellers. They have a six member team three team agents, one showing agent inspection specialist, one administrative assistant, and one team leader. The Blythe real estate team. Is a father mother son team. Father Brent has been an agent for 28 years, Mother Lisa for 12 years, and Son Chad for 6 years. In this call, Brent and Chad talk about getting a fast start with limited funds, the key to working successfully with your family members, why telephone prospecting is the fastest, cheapest, most profitable way to generate leads and build the foundation of your business. How to Cultivate Your Past Clients and Sphere of Influence. Why 76% of their business is by repeat and referrals and the simple annual marketing plan they use to make it happen. The script and approach for calling your past clients and sphere of influence. The importance of systems and how to create them. Why you want to establish your daily schedule. The value of a coach. Networking clubs to build relationships and give and get professional referrals. Why you might want to hire an inspection specialist. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Brent and Chad.
0: Thank you, Mike. We're glad to be here. Thank you.
1: Good to have you both here. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Let's start with Brent.
0: Oh, wow, it's been so long. This is coming up on my 29th year of selling real estate, so... Uh, it's definitely a while back. Really kind of how I have got involved into real estate was kind of through the back door in a lot of ways. I started buying investment property, because I read the books on how to get rich and what you can do, and everything kept talking about owning, 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 and so I thought, all right, I'm going to start buying investment properties. Unfortunately, I was young and overly ambitious and went kind of nuts, and I started purchasing in uh, low-income areas. So, I kind of bypassed the location location theme, and we started purchasing those and After a while, we you know we'd buy them and couldn't get them sold and I was using another agent at the time I was just purchasing them, so we kept them as tenants and occupied and then one time we sold one through one of the special financing programs made quite a bit of profit, so I was pretty excited about that made the mistake of talking about that with my boss of the company I worked for, I was in a sales job there, and uh, they decided to give me a pink sheet saying that if I didn't give them 120% of my effort, then uh, I would be let go, even though that year I was in the top sales of the company and won a trip to Hawaii, which definitely didn't sit real well with me, so I bought another rental house every month for the next 12 months, a little rebellious, I guess. (laughs) That wasn't a good thing, though, even though it sounds like it might be, because eventually we got in trouble financially with owning that many. I did leave that company, of course, and that's when I said, I can sell these myself and got my real estate license. And after a period of time, I needed more money. I said, I better start selling houses besides just my own. And so I started selling full time with my license, and that's where my real estate career started.
1: It sounds like you got a little upside down or, or things didn't quite work out the way that you wanted on the investment side. Is that true?
0: That is true. Uh, they were all in lower income areas, bought them with uh, 75 to 80% uh, fine, refinancing. We would buy them really cheap, fix them up enough to get financing, refinance them, and then put tenants in them. And then in 1986, the tax law changed, and boy, that market just really dumped. And we ended up owing well over 100000 when we got out of them.
1: So you ended up selling them at a loss, you licked your wounds, and then you jumped into the brokerage side.
0: Yeah, we had two attorneys tell us we should file bankruptcy. We did not. We just kept working harder and harder to overcome it and eventually got caught up, paid all that off, and kept moving forward. You, know, you look back at what's happening in the housing market now and people just walking away from their house. It might have been easier, but I still feel good about taking care of the debt.
1: Chad, how did you get into the business? How long ago did you get into the business? What were you doing before this business?
2: I have been selling real estate for about six years now. I was licensed in 2009. And it was kind of a shoe in for me with both my father, Brent, and my mother, Lisa, being in real estate. And I actually kind of fought it for several years before that. When I got out of uh, high school, went to college for a little bit, realized I'd rather be in the working field. So I actually jumped into the restaurant industry for about eight years, which I thought was, was very good before real estate because I learned a lot about customer service, taking care of people. But after a while, realized that that wasn't fulfilling uh, a need that I had, which was taking care of people on a long-term scale and helping them, you know, build assets uh, and equity and help their families. Ultimately, the restaurant didn't quite do that for me, but after a couple of years of doing it, I started looking at different industries that I could get into. And dad had kind of planted in the back of my mind, uh, you know, you should consider real estate when you're ready. We don't want you when you're, when you're young and if you're not ready, but if you think about it, you might like it. So after, you know, a couple of years of giving that thought, I decided to go ahead and get my license and uh, started out with them
1: and,
0: and haven't looked back since.
1: Let's make sure everybody knows where you're at. Where is Omaha, Nebraska located?
0: Uh, it's funny. You, uh, some people just don't know where that's at. We're on the eastern border of Nebraska, the largest city in Nebraska, population about 450,000. The metro area is almost a million, because just south of it is Bellevue and Papillion. Papillion's been in several articles as one of the top four places in the U.S. to live in, but it's kind of, you talk about bedroom communities, it might be similar, but it's uh, just south of Omaha, connected, and then Bellevue, of course, we have a military base there with Offutt Air Force Base, and we work a lot lot of business through uh through the military in that location it's a great great area great community and then you take the surrounding areas it's pretty decent amount but if you look at people don't know where nebraska is just look at kansas city and go about three hours to the north drive about 200 miles north it's a little bit northwest and we're just up above kansas city
1: please describe your current real estate market
0: yeah, it's been a really, really good market this year. Last year was good. This was a little bit better. What we saw is in 2014, our average price in the in the MLS sell was about 188, and it jumped to 198000 this year. Our market time went from 51 days to 2015 to 35 days. So we have very strong, what you'd consider a seller's market at this point in time. So we're seeing Pretty traditional Midwest values. You're going to see uh, the new construction is going to be two stories and ranches. Those are predominant. There's still a lot of uh, new construction that's coming in with what I call starter style homes, and there will be split entries, ranches, not too many raised ranches, but multi levels are still being built. This town was built a lot of what we call split entries, where you walk in the front door and you go down six steps. You're on a platform, or you go up six steps, and the levels are kind of just split right there when you walk in, so we call it a split entry. Great, strong market. Uh, Of course, everybody knows Warren Buffett is from Omaha, so that gets a little bit of recognition. He lives here. In fact, at one time, I knocked on his door. I didn't even know it was his (laughs) house many years ago. (laughs) He didn't answer the door, but uh, I had a buyer looking in the area, and I was out prospecting, trying to find someone thinking about selling. Well, he never did sell. It's still there, and he still lives there. Sure. (laughs) But later on, I found out whose house it was. I went, oh, interesting.
1: You That's fantastic. Know. It just sounds like you're selling kind of in the middle of the market. You're selling the average home.
0: We are with the existing. We're, we we pretty much take all price points. I mean, we've sold. I've sold over a million dollar houses. Not a lot because there aren't a lot of those here. There's more and more starting to develop up to that uh, time, and appreciation will start to do that. This last year, we sold a lot of three to six hundred thousand. But our our bread and butter market in Omaha is probably the one thirty to one seventy five range, and that's just all, the largest majority of houses fall in that price range. Largest majority of buyers available out. They're looking or in that price range, so it's, it's a hot market time frame. Our average is somewhere around 184. What's interesting is our, um, our sellers' listings were lower than our buyers this last year. It's kind of fun to watch your numbers and see where that's trending. Our buyers almost averaged 195,000 average, so we went above average there, but our listings were lower. So I look at that as selling someone's house and then they buy a bigger house, so that's a positive thing in the marketplace.
1: Well, Brent, let's flash back, uh, I think it's 28, almost 29 years ago, when you first got started that first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start?
0: Actually, the first year was fairly decent. I had a really good manager uh, when I joined CBS Home Real Estate, actually it was CBS Real Estate back then, later on, Home Real Estate and CBS converged and was bought out by um, basically a Warren Buffett. Home Services of America so we're a Warren Buffett company now but at the time it was an individually owned local company and so I started there and the first year there I did get award of top agent of the year, me and one other guy had sold, it's kind of funny you look back then I think one and a half, half, 1.6 million and that was awarded At that time today, you know, that's a low month for us, so it's kind of interesting to look at the (laughs) the volume changes, but the price points are also changing as well. And so I got started with this manager who basically did the, um, geez, I just went blank on the guy's name, uh, Sweat Hogs program, Um, and you... Remember the name of the guy that ran that program?
1: Floyd. Floyd, Floyd Wickman.
0: That's who it was, yeah. We did the Sweat Hog program. So he actually officiated it because he had taken the class. And every day we had to come in and sit with that manager. And then he would give us an assignment and go out. And we were supposed to make contacts, make calls, knock doors, whatever it took, till we got an appointment. If we got an appointment at 9.30 a.m., we had permission to take the rest of the day off. Which was interesting back then. So we followed that and it actually it's amazing if you got an appointment a day you're doing pretty good in this business.
1: Do you recall how many closings you had that first year?
0: I do not know and I didn't keep good records all that from back then, but I would imagine most of the property was under a hundred thousand, so it probably would have been twelve, fifteen, twenty at the most.
1: Not a bad start. Chad, you had a, a little bit of a benefit that your folks were already in the business when you jumped in, so how did your first year go?
2: Actually, I consider it fairly slow, although you know, I guess it's all perspective. I did about $1.2 million my first year. I sold 12 units, which I thought was a little bit of a slow start. One, one of the big benefits of being with family is you get to learn a lot on, uh, on how to handle things, how to handle people. But one of the, the downsides is you do not get to sell to their sphere. You do not get to sell to their family. So uh, all of those were pretty much cold calls that I had drummed up my first year.
1: Let's jump into today. Let's talk about your your sales this year. This year, it's 2015. We're almost to the end. How many homes have you sold so far this year?
0: This year is our best year ever. We've been increasing. Two years ago, we sold about 124 houses. And then last year, it dropped a little to about 106, but our averages went up. And this year, we're looking at 130 by the time we finish out the year, we're getting close to that. Of course, this is December. So it's going to be our best year ever and about $24 million in sales.
1: It dipped a little bit last year. Do you know why that happened?
0: You know, I'm not real sure. Uh, it's uh, Sometimes uh, you can get plateaued in, in prospecting. For about five years, I joined the Mike Ferry Coaching Program, and I prospected two hours every single day, developing our business from 40 to 80, and then we kind of went up over the 100 now. We've been over the 100 the last four or five years in a row, and uh, a little bit content when it came in. The cat, the money was good. The lifestyle was good. The systems we had set up were were doing pretty well. And the desire to to do a whole lot more, I I figured it's hard to work eight days a week and we're already working six to seven. So I kind of slowed down in that growth process and that's when we we started uh, brainstorming the last year or two of developing a bigger team so that we could have more lifestyle. So I think part of that last year was just a, a catch-up year, and um, you know we just didn't push ourselves like we should have. It was just kind of a coasting year, and then we kind of looked up and went, well we didn't do as good as last year. Let's uh, regroup and start putting some new implementations into the system.
1: And, Britt, before I forget, how many homes have you sold in your career?
0: Chad asked me that as well when we were getting ready for this interview. I have not kept track of all of that because for a while it was part-time and then full-time. Uh, I've probably never sold less than, other than the first year, 20 or 25. And after that, we probably went 10, 15 years at 25 to 40 a year. And then in the last seven to eight years, it's just grown tremendously from 40 to 60 to 80 and up over the 100 the last like five years.
1: Why do you think that you were jumping so quickly? You're basically doubling there, right? You went from 40 to 80, and you had these big jumps. What was happening there? Why did that occur?
0: We were involved in another business that was taking a lot of our time, and I finally made a decision that that was not doing enough for what my goals and dreams were, and decided to stop that and go back full-time into real estate. When I did, I said, you know, I've been putzing around at this thing in a small level, for a while, I better get a coach. I need a coach that can teach me what to do because I'll have more hours in the day to do it. So that's when I hired Mike Ferry Systems as a coach and started paying for that. And I said, if I'm gonna pay that much, and it's it's not inexpensive, but it's well worth it. But if I'm gonna pay that much, I'm gonna do what they say. So we started doing what they, actually more so myself at the time, Lisa came on a little bit later to do full-time sales. And just started doing what they said to do, get up walk on a schedule, hit that phone calls at 830 every day, called expires. I think I listed 34, 35 expires, my best year. And just prospect, also very, very big on talking to your past client in Sphere, because I had a pretty good list there, being in the business for a while. So a coach just kind of guided me in the right direction to make sure I was cultivating those particular areas. And two hours a day of prospecting, I even had a, the multi-dialer where I was dialing three at a time. And calling out uh, in different neighborhoods, and there was a lot more expires back then. That's really changed the last few years. Kind of interesting, we've been so busy now cultivating our past client, which is what you ultimately dream of in this real estate. You get to a point where you can just build right off of past client referrals. Last two years, I have not really prospected other than cultivating the past client, and we're still doing quite well with that. Now we're adding a few things.
1: A question a lot of people have is, how high of a volume, number of transactions could you reach before you needed to bring in help, bring in assistance?
0: That's a great question, and that's still a question we battle with. We have one full-time assistant now. However, we just hired another team member that's going to come into play. I'll explain a little bit of that later. It's kind of a hybrid position. But at 40 transactions, I hired an assistant because that's what Mike Ferry taught back then is to hire an assistant at 40. When we got up over 100, we had a part-timer come on. What's interesting, we did it this year with one assistant, and we did 130 transactions. I, I test a lot of that to Chad coming on the team, because he came in and set us up with Dropbox and really revised our, we had a full-time assistant for 13 years that left us a year, and about a month ago, about a year to the state. And he and I had to take over and go through all of our systems and checklists and process paperwork, which I do not like to do. And when we did, we realized this gal was really good. She knew what she was doing, but there was no written go to this website for your showing activity, go to this to add your lock boxes, all of that. I had not been, my hands hadn't been in that. I was too busy just selling. So we had to relearn the whole infrastructure of our business all over, and it actually has proven to be very, very helpful because Chad and I would just go through it, and he was fantastic on the spreadsheets and the details and the checklists and we really simplified every detail where it says you need to do this, go to this website, here's the password, and we have a checklist system. It's probably 30 or 40 different checklists that we use. For every system in our business. So if our assistant were to leave for some reason now, I could pick up the file and know exactly where it is, look at the checklist, and make it process without having to relearn it all. And that'll be very helpful if we have to rehire someone in the future. So we were able to do 130 transactions with one assistant this year. However, there were things we were doing, picking up the ball. We were just too busy and we just did them to get through rather than train someone else. And our goal now is to find someone here in the next month or two to come on as an actual assistant, even if it's just part-time. We have that much work and start giving some of that. But we outsourced all of the SEO, website, Facebook, uh, post things like that, uh, bookkeeping. I have a bookkeeper and a CPA. Everything I could start outsourcing I did during that year so that we didn't bury ourselves too much.
1: Sounds like you created a, a system manual. Is that a manual system where you have the printed out page and you put it in the file, or do you have that electronically? It's in a computer, it's in some type of CRM that's prompting you what to do each day.
2: Uh, That's a good question. It's actually a little bit of both. So we use Dropbox, which, for those who don't know, it's a a file... Sharing I guess program where there're folders that are stored in the cloud, and we all have access to those folders so now we save all of our paperwork, our purchase agreements, our listing agreements all of them get saved into Dropbox folders we create a folder for each client, um, but then we do have an actual checklist for certain things that are printed with hard copy folders so we're kind of doubling up on those we'd love to go hundred percent green, but in our industry and the way that our brokerage and things out here work i don't know if that'll happen right off the bat. So everything gets saved in the cloud so we can access it from anywhere that we need and anybody can access it. However, we have printed checklists that go on hard copies in in our office so we can pick that up and kind of look at the next step in the process.
1: Are you using a system like Top Producer where it would prompt you on what needs to happen and when to do it? Or it sounds to me like you've you've kind of got developed your own system where you have paper in the file and then you're putting electronic documents in the Dropbox.
0: We do use Top Producer, not close to its full capacity. That's something we're going to be reviewing in the next 60 days, Chad and I will, because we've got uh, just added a new team member to the team and as well as we had a brand new team member all of last year that was new licensee. So, But with that, we have not really used Top Producer to, to remind us of anything. It's a single user for me and has mine and my wife Lisa's database on it. Chad has kept his separate. We're looking at combining all of that and having the team combine it. So what happens is when we get a new listing file, our assistant will go in click the checklist for a new listing. Or if it's me doing a market analysis, she's got a checklist of how to process and have everything ready with the folder and what order to put it in, have a sign, a lockbox, and have it sitting by the door ready for me to go out on my listing appointments. So she knows that particular one of those items, she pulls that, prints the checklist, and attaches it to the file, and then processes it from there. It's not in top producer reminding her. We have different checklists as far as every Tuesday and Thursday. She has to go through every single file and see where we're at on the checklist, and we staple those to the top of a legal size multi labeled folders, not one of the, it's not just a manila folder. It's got three or four sections. We can put things we everything's hole punched and put into those sections so that it's organized and the same in every single file.
1: It's a very manual system. And by the way, it's working great for you. Whatever it is, that's all I want to know. But it's a very manual system. It's pretty paper heavy. There has to be a, a review once a week. And the nice thing about the review is it clicks everybody in. However, it is a manual system and you're, you're kind of supplementing it with this electronic database, this reserve of information, this electronic filing system in the back through Dropbox. It's working for you. Do you think that it'll expand if you were to, say, double your production?
2: I would say yes. We've already kind of looked into other programs that are maybe already out there. No no, necessarily uh, need to reinvent the wheel. If there's something out there that could work as a CRM, also work as our checklist. We would do that. Our problem is we've customized them so much that we would need some type of a program that would be able to operate on the way that we've already been operating with a few changes. But we're always changing our checklist. We're always updating them, especially as we bring on new people. If it's something that we have to do at least twice, we try to make a checklist for it so we're not having to reinvent the wheel every time that we do something. I do think that as our team grows, it will continue to change and our systems will get a little better. Ideally, my vision would be to have it where it's all on Dropbox or all on some type of a cloud format where we don't even have paper printed off. The biggest benefits we've seen so far with with the cloud and sharing all this is we work all over the city, whether I'm working from my home office or our actual office or from a house. Somebody has a question on a file, I can pull it up from my phone, from my iPad, from my computer, and answer their question right off the bat instead of having to write it out on a to-do list and figure it out in the evenings we're call or call our assistants. So I do think that will change and develop. I think it always will, but especially as our team grows.
1: I'm just kind of thinking about the way things happen, and with you two, Chad, you you had to have actually really lucked out. I know it sounds weird, but in retrospect, you kind of lucked out where the longtime assistant who was handling all this paperwork took off, and you guys had to dig in. That had to be an incredible education for you, Chad, to learn the entire business really in-depth for every little nook and cranny, every little item that has to happen to get those transactions closed. Do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah, I would I would totally agree. At the time that it happened, I, I wouldn't have thought that. You know, it was a lot of work um, to get in there, and we were kind of nervous as to opening things up. And she had been doing it for so long, and at such a great level, she developed most of those checklists, or at least the beginning ones. But we didn't know how to do a lot of the things on the list because she just knew it. She knew how to do it, so she took it and ran with it. So it was a lot of work for a couple months are during that transition, but we went down and broke down every one of the checklists, expanded on them, made them um, a little more custom, and made them basically trainable so we could duplicate them and teach somebody else to come in and learn them. So I do think it was a a great learning experience, and for me more than maybe most for the fact that there was a lot of things I didn't know how to do because I never knew how to do them. I never had to do them. When I got into the business, Dad was big on teaching me how to prospect, get out, build business, get business, but I didn't know how to do a lot of the back-end things. I didn't know... You know, the paperwork was always done for me, other than writing my own offers and listing agreements. You know, the paperwork on the back end was done for me. What we do to get things marketed was always done. So it was actually kind of when my business started really taking off, or our business, but my portion of the business when we did this, because I had to go in and learn a lot of it. And I think the same went for for Brent's dad as well because he went in and was looking at stuff, and he'd see something and say, well, why are we doing it this way? Let's change it. So we changed it, and we made a lot of things better. So we kind of slowed down to speed up. It was definitely good for our business. We do miss that assistant. She was great. But our company has gotten better because of it.
1: Normally, I like to talk about the team at the end, but we've been talking a lot about the team and the team dynamics, so I want to bring it up at this point. Now, I know you have a a family operation, so let's start there. Who are the family members that are involved in the team?
0: That'll be myself, Brent Blythe, my wife Lisa, and then our son Chad. So there's three of us that are related on the team and that's the, the immediate three. Then we have a uh, agent that's been with us right out of year. His name is Kyle and he's been here since January, doing a great job and uh, really setting some good goals for next year. And then we just hired another person to join the team. Now this one's a unique position. It's a hybrid position is what I call it. And what we were looking at is what are we missing? What's causing us the most difficulty or are sucking time out of our schedule, or that we just don't flat enjoy doing as much as we used to. And what we found is we don't really sell a lot of new construction. We'll do some for buyers. However, we don't represent a builder. We're strictly existing homes. So every one of our transactions other than a handful have this fun home inspection process. Agents will know exactly what I mean when I say that. So, what happens is you sell the house and then you get to renegoti- again, uh, renegotiate that contract again in about five to ten days, depending on when the inspection gets done. It's a lot of time consuming issues. So, we said if we could have an assistant that helped on the home inspections, that would be amazing. The other item we were having problems with was the market kind of got uh, very low inventory. And so what would happen, we're working, Lisa uh, works more with the buyers of her and my contacts. I work more on the listing side, and she would have six, eight, ten buyers that she was working on. And then what would happen is that a new listing would hit the MLS, email automatic from our search to that person at 3, 4 in the afternoon or whenever it came up. And in this market, we were getting multiple offers this last year, and if it was in our hot price point, then you couldn't wait. So it was very rare that we could schedule something in an evening and not get interrupted with someone that says, especially if we sold their house and made them homeless, as I call it, they need to find a house or they're going to be in trouble. (laughs) So we would have to go immediately and go show that house that night. Well, quite often it's not the right house, so it just took an hour and a half out of her schedule to go show that. And that got a little bit old because you couldn't schedule three, four, five, or six houses and find something they like. And it's plan your schedule. So this hybrid agent that we're having coming on is going to be an agent that can sell and buy, but he's going to be a showing agent as well, and he's going to be our home inspection specialist. So he will go on all of the buyer's home inspections now and relieve Lisa and Chad of that responsibility. If it's a big issue and there's always clients that strictly want to work with us, and we will still work with some. But as a whole, he's going to take that over. And then if a showing agent, if something comes up and Lisa can't go show the house, then he would be available to go get the buyer in so we can get top customer service for that buyer, get them in when they need to. Quite often he might show one, two this week and they didn't even like them. If he does find one that they do like, then we would adjust our schedule, come in and write an offer.
1: This hybrid agent, one of the roles is the home inspection, home inspection specialist. I think people listening are going to say, that's interesting. I understand the basic idea, but how are you compensating this person? Are are they going to receive additional compensation for these home inspections?
0: What we've decided to do is uh, for up until now, Chad also did our sign running, and I paid him a flat dollar amount per month to do that. So that's going to go in the hybrid position as well. So rather than pay him $500 a month, we went and looked at it and said, what we're going to do is pay you a percentage of our gross. And we calculated that. And that's going to be his compensation, and we may have to reevaluate that in three, six months, but basically about twenty twenty-five thousand 25000 a year for that position for him to be on call. Him to work with the home inspections. However, he can still sell, of course, and make more income from that side. So it's really kind of a work in progress, and we'll reevaluate it every three months, make sure he's happy, make sure we're happy, and that it's fair, because if it's not fair, people don't stay on your team.
1: So he has a, a salary or a base mainly to take care of these home inspections, also to run some signs around, but he'll also be doing selling. What type of compensation will he receive when he sells?
0: When he's selling, he'll be at a 55% split. The other agent on our team is at a 55% split. And Chad, we have at a higher split. Of course, he's part of the team, and he does a lot more working with the systems and stuff. So we, we, rather than pay him a salary, we just paid him a lot higher split. He gets
1: 70%. Is that 55, is it flat, or does it change over time for any reason? It can change
0: based on their volume. As they start producing more, we have a graduated scale that can go up.
1: What's the top that it can go up to?
0: Adam, I'll let you answer that one.
1: We're not sure if
2: we have a set top because it's fairly high on our scale, and I don't have it in front of you. But we basically have, I think the first one is once they hit 3.5 million, it'll go up a couple percent, and then it's about every 2 million after that. And we kind of did that based on, you know, at some point when they're selling, if they get up to selling 7, 8, 10, you know, 12 million themselves, you know, we may have to readjust that. So for now, we kind of based it on the fact that most most agents that come on and don't want to run their own show or be their own individual agent probably would consider staying with us till they get about to that 7 or 8 million is what we estimated um, i think the height of the scale that we had peaked out around that 70% is probably where we're at however if we have a high producer that comes in one standard team and they're a rock star and sell 12 14 15 million we may readjust that and make it so that it's a, a win-win situation that's one thing that dad's always been great at is we bring people in and we want to make it work for them where they get a lot of benefits from the team and are profitable but we also have to make a little bit of a profit for our time and and all that's put into our marketing so we're very much trying to work on a fair scale so we will we'll probably adjust that if somebody gets to that high of a level
1: my guess from what you've just said is that you can have a couple bumps if they get up to that 78 million so we're probably sitting around 60 65 percent at that point
0: that would be fair. Our, our biggest thing is we want to be fair with them. I'm not wanting to add team members for the sake of adding team members. We're doing it in a in a way to develop our business. One of my things after doing this 28, 29 years is I don't want to work seven, eight days a week, and I don't want someone else to come in and get burnt out because, as you know, in this business, it, if someone calls up and wants to list or buy a house, it's rare that we ever say no. So it's very difficult if you don't have some people that you can then move some business to so that you do actually have a quality of life that you can enjoy with the business. Because the other night, Friday night, uh, my wife and I were headed to a Jeff Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy um, uh, show here in Omaha. And I'm just getting to the restaurant, and I get a call from one of my big clients. I just sold his house, and he didn't have his – now they call it a closing statement, but the HUD statement basically – And they couldn't fund his new purchase in Colorado. Well, that becomes kind of an emergency right then and there. So I was able to call my assistant. She's able to go in the dot box, take care of it, and get that taken care of by setting up the proper system. Same way with the other agents. If we're out of town, for instance, when Lisa and I leave, it buries Chad. So by having two or three more team members on the team, then we're able to cover each other's business and make this fun make it uh, not, where it totally controls your life, even though we know at times it's going to control a lot of our lives, but we don't need it to be seven days a week, 14 hours a day. And So that's our slow growth of the team has been our goal. We're not adding numbers just so we can be number one or number two in the company and that kind of thing. We're doing it based on what's going to be profitable and what's going to be equitable and what works for everybody to feel like, hey, I like being a part of this team. I might make three, 000, four thousand more to go somewhere else but I don't have the camaraderie, the teaching, don't have the mentorship that I that we would get if we weren't on the team.
1: The team agent they earn fifty five percent. Is that for both the buy and the sell side?
0: Correct, it is. Now, if we do give them a straight business, then it's fifty percent. But the only thing they they produce and bring in, they can build that one up. It'll always be fifty percent on what we hand to them.
1: Team generated business is at fifty percent flat. Correct. To get the big picture of the team, so, so far we've got Brent, Lisa, and Chad. We also now have Kyle, and you said the hybrid agent, and then one administrative assistant?
0: We have one administrative assistant. Our next goal is to hire another one, and that person I want to come in and... and it's kind of interesting when you start saying, what can we have them do? Well, for number one, if we start selling more, as we have more team members, our assistants just not going to be able to keep up with those numbers. So they're going to need assistance themselves. But they're not going to need a full-time assistant until you grow up to enough numbers. So probably we'll let them take over some of our marketing, our Facebook posts. If they know QuickBooks, I'll let them do some of the QuickBooks or the book keeping entries instead of outsourcing that. Kind of a project manager, if we're doing our first ever client appreciation that's coming up in January, and it would love to have an assistant be the person getting all the information, getting people's logos. We've got sponsors for that. Coordinating all that, because that takes time out of Chad or myself's time. And Lisa, if we're asking for sponsors, That really, it's back to my original philosophy. You want the team and the assistants there so that you can go out and be with the client. We don't make money unless we're with the client. And so that's what I'm trying to keep that focus in. And my management has really changed in the last two years because as we've gotten larger, I've had to do more office stuff, which is rewarding in one way but not in another. So we're trying to set those up so the automatic systems will be in place so that we can stay out there and do what we do best, and that's sell houses.
1: You know, Brent, that brings up an interesting idea or concept. How far out are you looking on your horizon in this business? And what I mean by that is, what's your end goal? Do you want to create a business that, say, runs without you, but continues to throw off an income stream? Do you want to keep it as profitable as possible and continue to work in the sell side as long as you can and squirrel that money away? What's your long-term goal?
0: I kind of laugh at that and chuckled as you brought that up because. I think people that sell real estate full-time and love this, which we do. My wife and I love what we do. <laughs> We're a little warped. We'll, we'll finally get a day off or take a day off. We'll come home. I'll look at her. She'll look at me and go, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? We don't do a lot of other things. We love what we do. So as far as an end game, I don't know if I have one where I say when I hit 65 or 70 or whatever, I want to retire and just totally be done. That can change, of course, depending on medical and as you get older. Right now, we have every vision of running pretty hard for the next at least 10, possibly gray area up to 15 years. And then at that point, we might pull completely out and Chad takes over, or we might just go more part-time and take trips and only handle a few of our favorite clients. It's kind of a an idea in our head. But I can't tell you I have an exact end game because we love what we do.
1: You've got this team dynamic going, and there are people out there listening who are thinking about putting a team together. They're not sure how it's going to work. They're not sure what the dynamics are. Now, uh, Brett, you and Lisa—it sounds to me like maybe you were a team in the past, and maybe there was a break. I, I, tell, give me a little bit of history of the family part of this team. How long have you been doing it, and how'd you make it work? Lisa's
0: had her license. Well, she had it for a while, and then she let it lapse, and then she redid it again. So part of that is we were fortunate enough and and worked hard enough that she was able to stay home and raise our kids. That was something that was important to us. I know that's a lot different today with these kids and and the work world and surviving, and a lot of them just can't afford to do that. We were. We were blessed. And so she kind of was in and out part-time until uh, our three-oldest finally graduated high school and moved on and then she stepped in full-time and she's she's really a rock star on the team she she'll sell 40 buyers a year she's amazing plus she's now developing some listings as well that she's enjoying doing she used to let those all come to me and now she's going I kind of like doing the listings so she's doing some of those as well we're kind of evolving there so really six years Seven, maybe six, seven years, a little bit longer. She's been full-time. Chaz, give me a thumbs Thanks. up. So it's been a closer to 10. I keep track for the numbers that she kind of got back in full-time about 10 years ago and just has really rocketed in the business.
1: So Lisa's been working the buy side, and it sounds to me like, Brent, you've been working the seller side. Is that how you kind of divided and conquered?
0: We had, and uh, so that means she'll end up listing six to ten at the most. I'll work with maybe six to ten buyers at the most. It just kind of depends on timing. So if she's buried, Chad's buried, and I have a buyer, then, of course, I'm going to say yes, and I'll take them out. Or if it's a very, very close client that sends us a lot of referrals and, you know, they sometimes want to work with you, then, then I will work with that particular person. But mainly I do listings and try to not do too many buyers.
1: Is Chad working with both buyers and sellers, or is he focused on one side or the other?
2: You know, I work uh, both sides, buyers and sellers. I got into the business when I was young, or at least I assume young, at 23. So uh, naturally, a lot of my clients were a little bit lower price and more buyers than sellers. Every year, that's starting to transition closer to a 50-50 split. I think I'll end up around 45, 55, 45 percent being sellers, 55 percent being buyers this year. And my concept is kind of the same as the other two agents that have come on, Dan being the hybrid agent, and then Kyle being our other agent. They work both buyers and sellers, and we allow them to do so because I know buyer's agents are common right now uh, across the country, but listings are, are the name of the game, and we have no problems with them generating their own listings and bringing them on. And they end up being the main contact with that person. However, the entire team We'll service them and we'll bounce ideas off each other, pricing, adjustments, marketing, things like that.
1: Chad, you mentioned earlier, and I don't want to let it slip away, what kind of production have you done this last year?
2: This year, I will sell, well, I'll pin, maybe close about 42 to 45 deals. Um, I got a couple more in the works. I might be able to get them closed by the end of the year, potentially. And then uh, that's about $7.5 which is up quite a bit from the past years. A lot of that, again, being when we had to retransition with our last assistant to a new assistant. We learned a lot about the insides of the business, and that helped me flourish quite a bit. And uh, I have, you know, great training with both mom and dad on cultivating our sphere. have had a really good sphere group, and past clients that have taken good care of me, they send me a lot of referrals. And every year seems to be doing more and more. I hope that will continue. I realize at some point that may plateau, but that's been really, really good this year. And this year has been... A little different than others, too, not only selling a little bit more, but starting to... Dad's giving me a little more of the responsibility on you know doing some of the checklists and some of the back-end things with the new assistant. I did a little bit of the training on that, um, and with the, the other new agent and the newer agent coming on, uh, doing a little bit of the teaching and training on that. Most of that in the past, even this year, most of that falls on Dad. With him being working with sellers, he spends a little more time in the office than we do with buyers, and so he ends up being our team lead and does the books, the marketing, and oversees all of that. I've been trying to help him out as much as I can with more people on the team. It takes up more and more time. And then I'm starting to do a little bit more sellers than buyers. So I've been able to have a little more time in the office and try to help him where he can use me.
1: You really did get a quick start here with your your family, the family support. Being able to tap right into an already producing business that you've mentioned before, you weren't able to tap into the sphere right away, but you're also able to develop your own. That's pretty good production uh, five, six years in. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Brent, another question here for you as far as the family dynamics. Most people, they they either make this work or they don't. Most of them as they're trying to do it as a couple or as a family, they, they bump into a challenge, things aren't working out, and they sort it out or they don't. Did you run into that? Did you run into challenges early on as far as who was going to do what or what kind of decisions were going to be made by who? Or were you able to set those roles early? And if so, how did you set the roles?
0: That's interesting, because I've not really thought a whole lot about it. The three of us have just worked very well together. There has been very little headbutting. The biggest thing I do is just slowing Chad down with ideas, because he listens to a lot of your <laughs> podcasts, and so he'll come up with more ideas than we have time to implement. So we'll just go through them slowly, and I guess the key thing there is is I've always tried to show him respect. I've tried to look at his ideas, because he has some very good ideas, and he'll He'll have some that he'll say I'm not too excited about, and that he'll—he says he likes to keep working on me until it becomes something I think it was my idea, but I don't know if that's true. But it's one way we try to <laughs> go through that. Uh, when Lisa came on, she loved buyers. She was not as comfortable with listings, which is very typical of a new agent. Most are that way. And even Chad, when he first year, probably even to a year and a half. I pretty much went on every listing with him. We're also doing that with our new agents. I will be on the listing or Chad will be now if I can't get there and cuz our percentage closing rates close to 80%. So I don't want to send a new guy in there and then he competes with another top producer and we lose business. So that's another advantage of being on the team. We're going to go in and train and teach them how to present, how to do their market analysis. Quite often uh, they'll do one and I will do one, to be honest. So we have two CMAs in reality going to some of these listings because if you're strong on price, I've found, and you trust that you have close to the right price, it's amazing how much better of a presentation you will do. But back to like working with Lisa and Chad, with Lisa with the buyers and me with the sellers, we just kind of, it's a little bit your own business within the same business. Business. And you know, of course, you know you know we talk about at dinner it's real estate. So we end up going through all the details, and we can view our frustrations between each other and not to our clients when they drive us crazy, which happens occasionally. And then with with Chad, uh, he was very very good at listening. He was very good at coming in, and, and I think because we were already selling at that time close to 100 houses a year, when he came in the office, the dynamics in the office and the respect that you have when you do that because that's it took us years to get to that point. I always was in awe of agents that could sell that many houses. He picked up on that and realized, hey, this, you know, it's not just my parents. They know a little bit of what they're doing. So he was very open-minded on a lot of that to learn the skill set and very receptive. So we have not really bumped heads very much at all. I mean, you always have a little of that. But the thing I had to do is at the office, he's a coworker. At home, he can be my son, that's a different situation. So I have to really change my hat roll working with him because I do not want to treat him like my son at the office around other people or, or ever do what you would do with your son because sometimes we get short with each other, we're family, we still love each other, we forgive each other and go on. So I'm very careful with how I respond and other than joking around, which we have a lot of fun in our office, but I respect what he's done and I think he knows that. So it helps that relationship.
1: If there are people out there listening and they're thinking about putting together either a couples partnership or a family partnership, what recommendations would you have for them?
0: Hmm, I haven't thought about that as much because I have a lot of people go, how in the world can you as a husband and wife work together? And I always <laughs> laughed. We did that with our investment properties. We did that in another business we had for a while. We just have always worked together. So, I haven't. Hasn't been an issue. If, do you ever get short with each other? Sure, and that's just normal. But you do. You got to be forgiving, and you always got to realize some people. That if, you know, when they're under pressure, I will say something that you don't mean to say, or you're short. And and we've learned. Uh, to detect when that person is like that. So that might be the best thing I would say, learn to realize that your spouse is under pressure at times and that when they react or don't react, it's not because they're ignoring you. It's because their mind's on something that's important to them at the time and you got to give each other grace as you go through that. So each people will have different strengths. For instance, my wife does not care for technology very much. She would rather have a paper file Period. And uh, she's slowly converting and, and dragging and kicking, doing it. But uh, she knows it's going to change. She can do it if she'll take the time to. She just doesn't care for it. I've always been very technologically oriented. And of course, Chad's the generation that's just natural for them. So you find who has the strength in each area. And then you let that person kind of work in that field. And then you run it off of each other. Make sure, because everyone has a good idea. Every, even a, a new agent I've learned ideas from because, you know, a brand new agent's got great ideas. they got a lot of energy. they got a lot of excitement. This is an evolving business. We do not do business now how we did it years ago.
1: Chad, do you have any advice to folks out there who are thinking about putting together a family group?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure I do. I I can't touch on the spouse. I don't know if my wife and I could work too well (laughs) together as my parents do. But, you know, dad hit on a lot of it. And I think part of the thing why our team has grown even in the last two or three years, even though we've been a family team for a while, is knowing each other's strengths. And I feel like it took us a couple of years to maybe learn truly not only what's each other's strengths amongst us, but what we like. And doing that in a family setting versus even a business setting is entirely different. I learned more things about my, my parents' strengths in business that I would have never guessed as a you know father son or mother son relationship and i think vice versa too they've learned some of the things that maybe i like doing i'm good at doing i enjoy doing and we've kind of let each other run with those and starting to give each other more responsibilities amongst those as for you know children coming in and working for your parents, um, I think there has to be a, a predetermined respect factor there. Dad has built up an amazing business. I can't, Omaha's a pretty big city. Well, for it's a fairly good-sized city, and I can't go around town without running into a few people that know both Brent and Lisa with raving things to say about them, especially other agents. So when they carry a good name like that, you want to uphold it. And I think uh, sometimes people come in thinking, After, you know, a year or two, start selling a few homes, get a few underneath your belt, start feeling good about yourself, it's easy to maybe not analyze where you truly are in the company. And I've always looked up to dad and respected him and mom and learned from them what I can do to be better. And as that continues, I try to contribute to the team, but I have to understand that this team was theirs before I was here. They built it up to what it is now. If they weren't here, I probably would not have this far of a team at this point in the game. And I appreciate and respect that. I think I have to always remember that. And I would advise that for anybody else that's joining onto a family team is respect what your parents have done to get you here. And I see that as a, as a, you know, I get to start a few rungs up the ladder than the average person. And I don't want people to look at it and say, well, he's only where he's at because he has the team. No, I want them to know that, yes, that did help me get there. However, now I'm contributing, and together we are stronger when we you know, take all of our forces combined and we can move forward and do even better things, and they've given me that respect. So just respect your family. Uh, understand that you are where you are because they got you there. Now you can jump in and help them grow it even to that next level so they can live the type of life that they want to live also.
1: Let's talk about lead generation, business generation. What are the top three ways that you generate leads?
0: That's interesting because that definitely has evolved. So if you're a new agent working, you're going to – and what I did in the very beginning was I would walk into that office just like uh, on the Floyd Wickman program and and Mike Ferry taught, uh, you're starting at zero today. Do not think you have anything going or nothing. Now what are you going to do? And the, uh, the biggest mistake I see a lot of new agents make is they come into the office, they chat, they go around the water cooler, they spend two hours making a flyer for the one listing they have and never, never get out there on the phone or on a mailing or anything. I was too broke when I was doing this because those houses that we owned were getting us in deep trouble. So the only thing I could do for free was make a phone call or physically go walk doors. And I says, "I I gotta let people know I'm in business. Nobody knows I'm in business sitting in this office. So the best tool you have, and I still think most brokers still provide you a telephone for free, is get on that phone and make calls. Now, I will agree that less and less people answer their phone and less and less people have a home phone number. But there are still plenty of numbers to make phone calls out there or go knock doors. It was just uh, last year, uh, I think it was, uh, probably a year ago exactly, we had a buyer that was looking for a property. We could not find it. They wanted a contemporary style It was probably five degrees outside. My wife and I both went out, two different subdivisions, and we would drive until we saw a contemporary, pull up in there, walk out on the ice and cold, and put a note card in their door, and then just drive to the next one, because we went to a couple areas that we knew. That's just still something we like to do. If we have a buyer, we're going to do that extra customer service and do so. But as far as calling expires every morning for sale by owners every morning, I did that for years. Now our business has evolved like you always hope it will do, and we were told growing up in this business by all of our coaches, eventually our database will be gold, and that's where our business will come in from, those in referrals. And in a lot of ways, that is where we have developed to today. So the last two years, with Chad's help, we've really moved to really spending extra effort cultivating the database, not only calling them, even though we haven't been good enough like we should be at calling them, but Facebook, we're sending electronic newsletters out monthly. We send four postcards physically for those that we don't have their email address or it changes because people do that and then trying to add people to that newsletter list. And when we call and talk to our clients, get those emails are valuable. So we're doing some snail mail four times a year to make sure we get our name out, and then every month a newsletter. And we have a business Facebook account. I've never been overly excited about the Facebook. Uh, chat kind of pushed that, and we put that in there. But we're using it for some marketing purposes that we think are helpful. And this year, we, were, we got a really top honor award. We were just voted Omaha, Best of Omaha. There's top three agents in the, um, in the city. So we're the first time to win that this year, and we're going to really work on some adding that into some of our um, marketing pieces and things that we send out and put the logo
1: on there. So it sounds like the majority of your business today is coming from repeat and referrals. Is that correct? I would say that's
0: true, especially
1: for Lisa and
0: I, the newer agents on the team. it's going to be a little bit of sphere, and they're going to be doing some open houses as well and prospecting, and they should That's what I did in the beginning as well. First five years when I moved here, I'm not from here, so I've been here thirty three years now. I grew up in Louisiana, my wife grew up in Missouri, so we moved here. We had no aunts, uncles, anyone else to to purchase a house from us. So we had to go out and meet contact and prospect and to this day I in fact the other day I called Expireds. I haven't done that in a while, I just wasn't quite as busy and I picked up the phone, and started calling Expireds. I enjoyed doing the content. I did so much of it it became fun because that's the one thing I could do was get in the morning, pick up a phone call, set up an appointment and list a house that night that was not even in anywhere that I knew about. And I tell you that's a great feeling to walk away with a listing that you didn't no clue you were going to get that day. So I really, really enjoy that. So the other thing we do is we all three of us are in b and a networking group, if you're familiar with that. It's um, been out for a long time. It's probably the largest organized network referral system out there. And so we do do that as well. That's probably bringing us in, uh, Chad, do you remember, was it 15 to 18 deals this year between the three? Um, I think it was 18 to 22. Okay. And so the other thing we've done with that group, because people get in and out of that, of course, because you pay to be in there, but every year they do, they're still in my database. Nobody leaves the database. So as they come in, uh, we keep in contact. I sold one last year from uh, 14 years ago when I joined B&I 16 years ago. They were in, and they left the group. It kept in touch. They came in, sold their home, and bought a new one, and this was a nice price point. So you just constantly add to that database and cultivate it, and that's where we do a lot of our networking now is in the B&I sphere, uh, some of those type of things. The rest comes in. We were picking up some from website that really changed this last year because we had such a low inventory. All the buyers that were out there looking didn't believe their agent, so they went on the websites. <laughs> we were getting all kind of contacts, but they weren't really good leads. So we slowed that down. That will come back out when the market gets a little more stable. I am a Dave Ramsey certified ELP, one of their endorsed local providers, so we get some good business out of that, And as well as our company's large enough that we have a pretty big relocation department, and we do a lot with the USAA program, so we get some of the military being close to the base.
1: Let's dig into a few of those. Let's talk about your biggest one, your past clients and sphere of influence. You mentioned you have a database. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence?
0: Mine and leases is around
1: 1,100. 1,100. How many are past clients versus sphere of influence?
0: I cannot answer that totally because I haven't done it. I could if I went in the program and top producer because it allows you to put if they were past client, and we do. But I haven't looked at that number in years. We have just we market to the whole database as a whole. And so I don't have that number right now. I would say probably half should become more than half as far as past clients and that kind of thing. The others could be acquaintances, networking groups, church, affiliations like that.
1: Now, are all 1,100 of those people, are they all someone that you've met that you know personally?
0: Yeah, there's not. Uh, if we haven't, t- well, there could be some in there that I've talked to on the phone, and they talking about moving, and then maybe they change their mind. They would stay in that database, too, because i like to keep that name there because we made a contact, and, you know, a year or two, three years down the road, they decide to move. At least they have our name and number coming to them.
1: sounds like you put anyone in your database that you've made a contact with you've actually spoken with, either in person or over the phone.
0: Yes, that would be probably correct, with a very few exceptions. Maybe our church and people that I haven't talked to, but we put those lists into our database. Because I don't like to go into church and ask for business, but we do add them to the list so they know what we do.
1: Is there anybody that comes off the list, and if so, why?
0: (laughs) Uh, Loaded question there, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is. Probably, we've kind of averaged it, probably two to three times a year, we'll just have a client that is just unreasonable, difficult to work with, makes our life miserable, and never want to work with that person again. As soon as that closes, they are deleted from our database. I learned that from Mike Ferry years ago. If you just don't like someone, get them off your list, because it just deters you from calling in again, because that keeps coming up and you have that bad feeling. Get them out of there. Call people you like to call.
1: Any other reason that you would take people off your list? The only other time we
0: have is if they move out of town. For instance, let's say I know they moved into town, lived here two or three years, took a job transfer, and moved out. Their, their networking here is pretty small. Uh, and if I haven't talked to them or been able to contact them in four or five years, I might delete them off the list just to narrow it because they're they're just not knowing people in Omaha that well. And unless I've kept a good contact with them and they would answer their phone and I could visit with them by phone at a distance and they still had good contacts in Omaha. If they just came in on a short time and left, then no, I would I'd take them out just to save a little bit of marketing dollar.
1: As far as how you're staying in front of your past clients and sphere of influence, you started to go down the list for us. It sounded like you had a monthly newsletter that you send out electronically by email. And then you've got a postcard that you send out quarterly. And then what else? You said uh, you've got a Facebook page. What am I missing?
0: pretty much the major three that we do. We're gonna do that client appreciation starting that this year to see how that does. We're gonna do a free movie offering at the theater for dot job two movie that's coming out in January on a Saturday morning. But that's just a way to get our name out, a good way to reason to call people, make sure they we update their email list. And, and of course, we're appreciative of any business or referrals. Chad, you got anything else to add to that?
2: Yeah. We also used to call our sphere once a quarter and just talk to them, ask how the things are going, if they know anybody looking to buy or sell. As we've gotten busier, we've done that a little bit less. I would say we still probably call our sphere and past clients about once a year at least, sometimes twice. This time of year is a great time to do it. I love to do it in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Just wish them happy holidays. You know, thanks for any referrals they sent that year. This year, when we're going to start that year in the next week or two, we're going to also do, um, you know, invite them personally to our client event. Another thing that I do... That's been really good for me. I know the rest of the team doesn't quite do this, so, uh, but it works for me. Is, uh, my, my name's list is about 500 people. About 100 of those are past clients. But of that, I've kind of made an A list, those that send me business, one or two referrals a year. Not everybody, but people that are good, close friends of mine or good past clients, family, things like that, and I like to send them uh, a business card once a year with just a handwritten note, and then uh, the biggest thing I do is I actually send out a calendar. We have a local sports team here, uh, Nebraska Huskers, which is very, very big in the entire state of Nebraska, Um, and we have a fan base all over, and they take their football too seriously, but uh, I I can't say I'm disappointed. I love it. So I send out a Husker calendar every year with a handwritten note at the beginning of the season, just, you know, wish them a good season and all that, and it actually works really well. I go a lot of friends for events, things like that, and it'll be sitting there right on their front, the front of their fridge. It's a magnet, and it just sits up there with the calendar, and I get a lot of thank yous for that, and I actually get business from it. It would be a talking piece if I go over to You know, like a Thanksgiving dinner, three or four people will be talking about it and refer me to somebody there that's thinking about selling. So that's been a good one for me, and we've been encouraging our two new agents who have probably about 100 to 200 in their database. They do all the quarterly postcards with us, so we ask for everybody's mailing labels. Every quarter, they're included on that. They're included in the monthly newsletters, and then I'm trying to encourage them to either do mail out a card, handwritten note once a year, or a calendar if they want to do something like that, and then call, you know, once to twice a year. So I'd say that's probably the majority of us, that's how we all operate with our Sphere and PassCoins.
1: You mentioned at the beginning of that that you used to call quarterly. Was that a formal process, a formal system that you had set up?
2: At the beginning, yeah, it was, and it was something that was pushed through some of our coaches. Dad did it for years, and you call, and you just kind of look for a topic of conversation. At the end of it, you know, who do you know that might be looking at buying or selling real estate in the next year, and seeing if they can send you any referrals. After being in the business for, you know, three or four or five years, I, uh, I didn't have to call quarterly. And I start calling and people start saying, we know where you're calling. Well, you know we'll send you business. So, and, and they would, and I knew they would. So I kind of toned it back to not being every quarter, but like I said, doing it once to twice a year. And uh, I think they, have, they appreciated that. But we did have scripts for those four that we did.
1: That's interesting, Chad. You said you you ran into a little bit of resistance after calling, uh, you know, being real aggressive like you're supposed to be, and you call four times a year and people start saying, hey, we know why you're calling. Did that give you a little bit of pushback? Did you feel, was that awkward then at that point to hear that? And how did you handle that? Sounds like you slowed down the number of calls you were making. Did you change the context of the call or what you would talk about?
2: You know, that's absolutely correct. It was a little bit when I heard that. And they were joking with me and we had, you know, it was kind of funny, but I kind of took it to heart too that, you know, I don't have to keep pushing my closest sphere for, for these referrals because they truly were giving it to me. So I kind of analyzed that and said I'm going to tone it back a little bit and started doing more. That's actually when we started doing more newsletters and Facebook marketing and things like that. So we stay in front of that sphere, but I'm not calling them as aggressively. But when I do call them, I do keep it a lot more casual. I don't mention, I don't ask for business as often as I used to. I just kind of keep it casual. I talk about the market in general, talk about, you know, how they're doing, how they're liking their house and talk about the holidays and changed up my content a little bit on it. And I think it's been really good that I've done that. I'm not an extremely aggressive person in the sales side of it. I really care about people, and I think my closest friends in Sphere knew that. So they knew it was a little bit of out of characteristic of me to call and ask for business. So I think it was just awkward for everybody. And when I changed up my content, they started helping me quite a bit.
1: As you move forward, are you going to reinitiate your phone calls that you try to make for a year?
2: I would like to, actually. I mean, we'd like to do that as a team. I think it was beneficial as long as we keep the content good. The one thing that we haven't done it as much lately because we have been so busy and with only one assistant right now, we're doing some of that workload right now and so I know Dad had mentioned that we're looking at possibly bringing on another part-time or even another full-time assistant that will take some of the marketing some of the other tasks that we're doing once we have that person and that'll hopefully free up our time enough where i can spend a little more time on the phones doing what i like to do which is you know talking to people showing homes and writing contracts and that's kind of the concept behind that and i know dad also has mentioned wanting to uh probably get back into some more of those calls if you want to touch on that dad
0: yeah i i Definitely come from a different perspective, and and the coach that I had through Mike Ferry, they were really big on calling people four times a year. Now, one thing I did do is when I first started that call, and I've taught this to a lot of new agents that will ask questions, here's a real simple and nice thing. When I first talked to them, I said, hey, from time to time, I'd just like to touch base, give you some information about the marketplace and kind of what's going on is it okay for you to take calls at work? Would you rather get a call there or at home? And it's amazing. Most of them would rather get called at work. (laughs) So I would take the number that they like the most. And what you'll find when you're calling past clients and friends, they still don't answer their phones. So it's not really a long or long time frame. You just touch base, you leave a voicemail and move on. And that works effectively if they're interested to to learn more, they will call you. I've had people, I've left messages for years, never talked to them, and then they just call up, we're moving, and come list our house. So it works effectively. But one thing I always did, because I was like every other person, man, do I feel like I'm bothering these people. So I always wanted and to get to the bottom line, and I'm kind of that way anyway. So I'd call them and say, hey, just a quick business call. And that would be the first thing I would say, because I, every once in a while I'd have a salesperson call me and Start asking me about my family. Start asking me about this, that, the weather. And and I'm usually pretty busy and pretty to the point trying to get things done. And that would drive me crazy. And then after 10, 15 minutes, oh, the reason I called is, no, do that to me up front. I respect that. Get to that. Then if we finish that... I can go to how are the kids and that kind of things, and that's also you know like my best friend I call. It's going to be totally different than someone that's just a past client that I don't associate with outside of work much. So I always explain to people, call them, say, hey, just a quick business call. Do you have a second? Have reason to call in the marketplace is ABC or whatever it is you want to give them some good valuable information, and then. Do you know anybody that's possibly looking to buy or sell that could use our services today? And if you keep it business, they respect it. If they then want to talk, yeah, spend some time with them because you do have some there that you'll get them talking. Sometimes you can't get them off the phone, and you just kind of – it's okay. Spend time with those people. They're, They're talkers. They know a lot of people. And uh, you let them lead that conversation. But you don't make any money without being out there and letting people know that you're in the business. And the other thing I always taught was people like to help people. I mean, how often someone says, man, I I need somebody that can do that. Oh, I know a good person that can do that. Don't get a dime for it, but I love referring that person to someone just because I was able to help them. They're the same way. Man, if they know somebody wants to sell and they think that helps you and they feel good about helping you. So it's okay to ask for business.
1: Now you mentioned you have this electronic monthly newsletter. Describe it to me. What are you sending out? What's in the newsletter?
0: Typically, and that's where we have a person helping us, they'll come up with some different topics. Occasionally, we will direct the topics if it's something we want to get out. For instance, the last one we sent out, thank you so much for helping us win Best of Omaha. Another one that will go out is customer or client appreciation. We'd love to have you attend the movie. Then there might be articles in reference to um, the market. We all Quite often we'll send our uh, market statistics out on those in the little corner down to the bottom. It's usually just a one page. We'll have a couple of different articles on there. And usually we only write so much of it there. And then if they want to read more, they can hit a link That link then goes to the blog to our website. So we'll post the real article there, and these will just be kind of tidbits of information. If they like it, they can click and go get more information. If they don't, then they don't have to read that or go through three or four or five pages of information. We were using Constant Contact. We just moved over to MailChimp as a service to do it. And so uh, that's the one that the gal that I have working with us likes the most. Is some things features that she wanted. So we switched over to that, and just kind of just helpful articles. It might even go in there and put how to stage your home or how to what brings you the most value back if you do a remodeling or. Uh, things of that sort, just things that we want them to want to open that. Because every time you go out to a party or an association, someone finds out we're in real estate, they love to ask questions of what's the market or what do you see or, uh, you know, should I put a new roof on, should I put vinyl siding, whatever it happens to be. So we try to cover some of those interesting articles, and those that are interested will click on it and read more. If they're not, at least they saw our name come across their email.
1: Do you have a call to action in there? Are you asking them to do something? Are you asking them to call or to go to a link to get an estimate of a free market analysis? Good
0: question, because if they click on any one of the articles, it goes to our website. And that's where they can then see the article. On there, there's all kind of links that say you want a market analysis or here's a quick online evaluation of your home or click here if you want to have somebody contact you about looking at houses. We do more of that off of our website. We might have one at the bottom down in this constant occasionally that will say free evaluation of your home and they can click there, but not too, too much because this is going to that database. I want it to be informative. I want them to want to open it and not feel like we're always trying to sell
1: them when it comes to them. How long have you been sending out this monthly newsletter, the electronic?
0: Maybe a year and a half
1: now to two years. Have you received feedback? Do you have a large open rate? Uh, How do you know whether it's successful?
0: track those with those uh, companies. You can actually send you a report of how many received it, how many uh, maybe they put you on the do not send list. It can happen because you got to have those on there so they can unsubscribe. And then it does show the click-through and, and open. It's not as big as you would think. That was kind of interesting to me. It's It might be 10 to 18%, which see, she says, my guess, is that's very good. However... I have a different philosophy. They they get the email, and in their email, it shows our name of our team in there. And sometimes that's all the contact I have to make until they're ready, just like good example that I like to use, let's say you go out and you buy a brand new Range Rover or or a two or three-year-old Range Rover. All of a sudden, you never really saw that many on the road, but once you purchase it, they're all over the place. And you go, wow, I didn't really have that many out there. Same thing with here. All of a sudden, they're thinking about moving. Now your email pops up and, oh, now they're interested. They click or they give you a call. So it's just there whenever the right timing hits.
1: You also mentioned you send out a quarterly postcard. What's on the postcard? kind of the same various
0: topics. It'll also have a call to action to go to our website for information. Uh, it might talk about the market. It may just talk about the team in general. Those are the ones that I just can't get their emails or their emails have canceled or they unsubscribed. So they just get one more contact. But we do have quite a few. I, I've done a phone call just today. Um, it was a referral for a listing. Called the guy who got set up an appointment for Wednesday afternoon for a listing appointment. And asked for his email so I could send him information about me and the team. He goes, I don't do email. <laughs> we still run into those. So that's the way to at least stay in contact with that portion. It's like the same argument. We have people to say, well, people still, some people still read the newspaper and the rest of us look online. There's still some of those that are going to sell some nice houses that if I don't send them a postcard, they don't know we're out there.
1: What are you all doing with the Facebook page, the business page?
2: Well, the Facebook page has kind of evolved We set up a team page a while back and had everybody go on and invite friends through their own personal one. And and so we ended up getting a couple hundred likes on that page, but then we didn't do a lot with it for a while. And this last year, one of my goals at the beginning of last year when I was writing my goals was to increase the amount of likes and then also increase the activity that we had with it, trying to get more User, make it more user-friendly, get more people to be involved. And so what we do now with it is fairly regimented. We have the same gal that does our newsletter run that, but we have kind of give her certain topics of things. So about once a week, uh, she'll put out a, a link to an article. And we usually read through the articles or find them, or she'll find them, send it to us, we proof it. Some are local, some of them are national. We find those just sporadic ways. I mean, we get a lot in our emails just through local uh, Omaha newspaper. Things like that. So we do one article a week. Whenever we get a new listing, we can. It gets uploaded through our brokerage, CBS Home, and then to our local MLS. And we can take that link and share it on our Facebook. So all of our new listings that we get get on there and shows pictures. People can click on it, set up showings. And that's been good because we're actually one of the top existing listing teams here in the Omaha Metro at CBS Home. Um, so we may do 60, 70 listings in a year. So that's, you know, two a week, one to two a week on average that we're getting out onto our page. And then in addition to that, if we're doing something fun in the community. The other day, we did a realtor ring day for the Salvation Army, took a couple pictures of our team out there ringing the red bell and posted that on there. So we try to at least once a week have some type of a picture. We were doing our goals, meaning our team was writing our goals a couple couple weeks ago took a picture of us doing that posted on there so just kind of let people know that yes we're a team but you know we we also have some fun we get out and do things as a group you know kind of touch to the uh the human side of that i think that's that's probably the majority of what we post on there one thing we are starting to do but we found we're not as disciplined as we should be is taking client photos so on final walkthroughs I've been taking one of our new custom signs that we got this year. We made new custom signs. It says, sold by the Blythe real estate team. Have them hold it up at the final walkthrough. Take a picture. Ask them if we can post it on our team page. Uh, and then we share it to them. And so that's been really good because we've been getting referrals or getting people to sign on closing day if they're signing the papers to take a picture. Hey, can we put this on our Facebook page? So we've been trying to do more and more of that. We're getting good at taking the pictures, but sometimes we get busy, forget to upload them to the actual page. So we're going to try to get a little more disciplined with that next year.
1: It also sounds like you're about to put together your first client appreciation party, so you don't know the results, you don't know how that's going to go. It sounds like it's going to be a movie day. For people who are thinking about putting together their first event, any recommendations, uh, things that you've seen as you've been putting this together that might help somebody get off on the right foot?
2: I think on that, planning ahead is good figure out exactly who you want to invite, exactly what you want to do, and how you're going to market it and when you're going to market it. Every week we get together, we have team meetings every Monday, and we look at that week and say, this week, these are the two or three things we're going to do in relation to the client event, because it's very easy to start on the idea of the event, get it booked and planned, but then you get busy working, especially if you have a week where you have a couple people call you, want to list homes, a couple buyers want to go look at houses, it's easy to get busy, not do anything that week, and the next thing you know, hey, this event in a couple Weeks. So we've been trying to stay on top of it, stay ahead of it. We have every week kind of planned as to, okay, this is what we're going to accomplish this week. These are the vendors we're going to line up this week. And then keeping, I'd say organized, you know, keeping it organized as to, all right, so far these 25 people have registered. And looking at that, I'm sure that you asked me the same question in about two months from now, after it's been completed, I'll have a whole different set of advice <laughs> for you. But at this point, uh, that's kind of where we're at. And uh, a lot of the ideas that we've gotten on this were actually directly from you and some of the people you've interviewed because a lot of people are doing these type of events. So we had a lot of our good ideas came from listening to you in the interviews. And so that's probably helped us streamline this a little bit more and make less mistakes.
1: Well, I think you're going to enjoy the, the fact that you're going to have a lot of contact with your people in the invitation getting that invitation out in front of them and chatting with them, of course, at the event. And don't forget the post-event to make sure that you send out pictures of the event. Lots of contact opportunities there. So I'm excited to hear how that goes for you. Now, just to bring this all together, we have been talking about your repeat referrals, your past clients' sphere of influence. If I add things up correctly, that's like 76% of your business. It's about three-quarters of your business. Does that sound correct?
0: That is correct. It's probably been that strong for the last 5 years. And kind of how we look at that is, yeah, that's nice and we want to always continue to get that sphere, but we're still adding. We're working on adding more people to our database, more clients to our as we sell more in these different areas because there's more more we can help there. And the larger that gets, the larger 76% becomes because it's of a larger number. So we really want to cultivate that and always take care of the largest amount of business that's coming in. But at the same time, we always want to be adding business and new business coming in because you'll sell some of these past clients that'll come back, sell, leave town and then that part of your, you know, referral base is gone. So you definitely want to keep continuing that. And it's taken years to develop up to where we're getting that high of a percentage and that's part of the excitement about building a real estate business. So one day you can basically work with the people you know, you like Today, I walked into the office, got a phone call, and there was a referral. I didn't know that was coming in today. It takes many time frames before you start feeling comfortable with that, and that's really what you want to build your business up to do because you can run seven, eight days a week, it feels like, for years, and if you don't cultivate that past client database, you're kind of doing it on a real short-term thinking, and I probably did that in the beginning of my career way too much because I remember them saying they move every five to seven years. I'd sell your house, walk away from the clothing, and go, man, I could go find the next guy. I still got to feed my family. Well, don't let that thinking completely take over as a new agent or a newer agent because if you cultivate that, We now look at it differently and say not only do they buy, they're going to know someone because if we gave them good service, they want to help us. And we started building that referral base off of that sphere. So they may not move for five years, but they might send us five referrals. And so once you get that in your mind, you realize how valuable those people are. And I think Chad wants to add something to that.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a good point there. And, you know, we do a large percentage of our business is from past clients in our center of influence and a lot of times in real estate what I've learned over the last few years and a lot of other agents will attest to this is we spend so much time figuring out how to go out and get business when A lot of times, if you spend your time figuring out how to take care of the business that you have and focus on your clients first, if you put them first, they will pass your name along to others. And that's why our business has grown quite a bit. Is Yes, we are trying to grow our business. That is one very important thing and do more. However, while we create checklists and while we're adding team members and while we're you know, streamlining things is so. Bottom line is, we can take care of more clients, but at a better, give them better quality of service that they wouldn't get from another team. So we want to be the best team in Omaha. And that may not mean selling the most homes, but that means taking care of clients. Because when you do that, that's when we're getting two or three referrals from each one of that database. And that's kind of where our focus has been. And not just in the sphere, but also the BNI, which is our referral group that has been a good portion of our business too. It's kind of the same concept. And that's been our bread and butter the last couple of years.
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, 76% at your current production, that's about 100 closings a year right out of repeat and referral. That's pretty spectacular. You've also mentioned the, the B&I and the networking. You said you have somewhere around 18 to 22 closings a year, so about 20 closings a year coming out of that. What exactly is going on there? It's a networking group. How often do you go? How big is the group? How is it structured? What are you doing with BNI?
2: BNI, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I'm sure you've probably had other agents that are involved with it. But it stands for Business Networking International. And there's a couple different chapters in Omaha. A lot of the big cities across the world have chapters in them. And the basic concept behind it is there is one person per profession in these chapters. And they meet weekly. We, my chapter meets on Thursdays. Dad meets on Wednesdays. My mom's meets on Tuesdays. And so we each happen to be in one. Dad's been in his chapter for like 12 years or so now, maybe more. I've been in mine for about four years, and I think mom's been in hers for about three years. And the concept is you go weekly, you get to meet people, learn about their business. And, and then ultimately at the end of the meeting, if I have any referrals for anybody, I pass it to them. If they have any referrals for me, they pass it to me. And it's been really, really good, especially for my business, because relationships are where I try to spend my time building those relationships. And after several years of being in my group, I have gotten to become pretty good friends with a lot of people in there. I'm able to pass business to them. They're also able to, in return, pass business to me. And uh, that makes up a large percentage of our team. And a lot of people aren't even aware that these programs are out there. So for any agents that aren't, go to, uh, you know, Dr. Google and pull it up, and you probably can find a local chapter that uh, may have an opening for yours. If not, you can always start your own or other networking groups.
0: Yeah, and another thing to add to that, Mike, is each one of our team members, we actually promote them to go out and build a relationship with loan officers separate. So it would be easy to try to control that and say, all right, everybody on the team's got to use this particular loan officer because they send business to me. I haven't done that. I've actually want them to go out and we kind of learn that because each B&I usually has a loan offer in it. It's got a realtor. It's got an attorney. You know, only one occupation period can be in each group. So you're not competing in that group. Now, you still got to do a good job or people won't send business to you. But by sending every one of our agents out, go build a relationship, and I'm very strong with this on them. When you talk to that loan officer and they, of course, want you to send them business, this is a reciprocal agreement. I will send you business, but I expect to get business also in return. And that's a lot of what B&I is about, givers gain. is kind of their motto. If I give you referrals, then you will want to give referrals back to me. And so we try to outsource each agent to build those relationships out there. They have their own home inspector they like to work with. They have their own lender, termite, carpet guy. All of those different things are great relationships to build. And when you send them business and ask for business in return, I'm very strong on that. You don't just send business without asking for it to return. Because if they're not returning it, you go find someone else that will.
1: Do you have a script that you use when you hand over a referral?
0: Hand over a referral as far as to an agent on
1: my team or in the, the B&I group, let's say you hand a referral over to the attorney. Do you have a script that you're asking for a referral to come back?
0: No. What they do in that group is we they call one-on-one. So from time to time, you actually say, hey, let's do a one-on-one, get together 15, 20 minutes and talk about each other's business. So we'll specifically go meet. I'll ask about his business. He'll ask about mine. And then part of that and I guess they do have it this written a written script I just tend to follow. I've been doing it so long I don't follow the script. How can I send you more referrals? And then they're also in turn saying, how can I send you more? So we actually talk about what do you need? How, what can I say to get a referral to give you a call to an attorney? What, what do I need to know? So we actually work on those with those guys because they want business. We didn't join the group just for the fun of it. It's not a social club. And yeah, you pay to join it, and you got, we go to lunch every week other than, you know, right at holidays and things. And you can't miss more than three times every six months. So it's a really dedicated group of professionals that you're working with. So we ask for business and we give business and we sit and talk about how can we help each other improve our businesses. So it's really a very healthy environment if you work it, but you do got to put time and effort into it.
1: How many members are typically part of the chapter or the group?
0: It just depends. Uh, It can be as little as 16 or 17. It can be as high as 40. I know my chapter's around 17 or 18. A lot of long-term members in it. Lisa's is somewhere around 22, and I'm not sure what Chad's is. I haven't been there in a while. We'll we'll sub for each other from time to time. And um, I think he's around 20 to 21 as well. So that's 20 different people that you see every week, and you talk about your business with, and they talk about theirs. It's a great way of getting building some business.
1: You said it costs some money to be part of the group. How much money?
0: Well, your lunch dues—you know—you got to pay when you meet, which you're going to eat somewhere anyway. But that's somewhere around four hundred a year, I think. I uh, may be off on the number four to four fifty.
1: Not a bad investment.
0: No, it's not bad at all. You can purchase and get a discount if you pay for two years in advance membership.
1: Uh, not a bad investment. Four hundred dollars for a year, and you had twenty-two closings come back. It sounds like it was pretty good. Pretty good trade-off.
0: Yeah, very much so. And I mean, these are people that, uh, and as they say they decide the business didn't work for them or they're not I anymore, they're still in my database, they're still in my newsletter, and we still keep in contact and we still get business. So even though I've been there over 15 years, I probably have 100 people in my database just strictly from that group. It just takes some time, and you've got to invest time if you want to build your business.
1: Are you profitable?
0: Profit is the number one thing I've followed the whole time I look at that. That's why I say I can pick up a phone for free and make calls. I can knock a door and not join a health club and make that my exercise program. So I've, I've been pretty tight because I had to in the beginning. It's just the last five years that we've started picking up on a newsletter and a separate person to help us with Facebook and advertising because I can afford to do that now. Profitable with one assistant with 130 transactions. You used to be told to have an assistant every 40. I technically should have three full-time. So I don't want to build a business that's not profitable just to say I have big numbers and it looks good on, wow, we, we close 40 million, but there's 15 people on my team. That's That's never been my goal. The profitability is very important to us. I still sell. I'm not strictly managing because that's where the money's at.
1: Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is? Probably for Lisa and I
0: combined it's close to 50% of the gross is our profit. But I haven't looked at those numbers very specific. There's people that are more detailed in numbers than I am on that side. You know, you got your overhead with your staff, you got your overhead with your marketing, and then also each agent's going to pull out of that gross. You got to pay them their cuts of their commission and that side of it. But we, still, we probably still gross half of that coming to Lisa and I.
1: You know, I want to go back just for a quick second to your past client's sphere of influence. Do you have a certain number of calls that you want to make each day? You keep mentioning the phone and also the doors, but do you still want to make a certain number of calls each day?
0: Typically, the rule of thumb, is the way I was taught, take however many you have, for instance, in my database. I know I have it in top producer broken out, and the ones that I do want to call are in an automatic reminder Even if I don't get to it, it just kind of drops off, but it'll remind me every two months, every three months to call this particular lead. And there's probably 300 in there that I keep in touch with by phone. The other two or 300, Lisa would herself would take track of. So I would just take the 300, divide it by 60 uh, working days in three months. And that means I'd have to talk to a minimum of five per day on average.
1: And do you make those calls still? I have not this year
0: with the assistant leaving us, and we've just been buried, but its uh, I miss it. To be honest, you get used to it, and it works. It would be amazing how often I've called someone. I was just thinking about real estate and you, and I have somebody that may be thinking, and, and when you do that, they'll tend to go the extra effort to get that referral out for you. I can Four or five of those every year when you're making those phone calls. And a lot of people say, well, it's just four or five, and that's a lot of time. It takes me 15 minutes to leave five messages at the most, and you'll talk to one or two. And you take five referrals, make 4000 commission for $20,000 a year. I think 15, 30 minutes a day is a pretty good investment.
1: That's actually pretty good. You built your business on making phone calls and prospecting. You were able to, in essence, not do it for a year. And yet your business continued to prosper by using these other more marketing methods like the, the newsletter and the postcards. So that's actually a, a pretty impressive. I assume if you continue to do that, it might fall off a little bit. You probably do need to start making those calls, but it is impressive you were able to build up to that level.
0: Yeah, I agree. The contacts and uh, spending time and, and people knowing you there are very, very important. And we're going to blitz a lot of phone calls the next two weeks. It'll be more than five a day because we need to to promote the client appreciation. Plus, it's a great time. I will not call and talk necessarily about business this time of year. I've always just made it, hey, just want to call and wish you and your family Merry Christmas. We're offering this appreciation movie. We'd love to have you come. I'll email you a link to it and then shoot them an email as well. is what our goal is for the next two weeks.
1: Well, Brent, what drives you?
0: You know, that's an interesting concept because uh, when I was broke, you know what drives you. I need money to pay the bills, pay the taxes that I got in trouble with when I had those investment properties. Now that's not the issue. There's money in the bank. I don't owe a lot of money. Uh, we're working on paying our house off here in about six, seven years because we're able to do that with the income we've got coming in. We pay a lot more on it. Any given time, if we want to take a trip, we can afford to do it. It's not a. It's not something we have to calculate. I think a lot of it now is I love having that. It's a great feeling to to not have to go out of town and check your bank account and worry whether you got enough or everything's going to cover on the auto draft. It is going to happen. I don't worry about that. There's enough in there. But discipline over the last 25 to 28 years of working, I'll get up this morning. I got up, I go, I don't have much on my calendar today. I still get up and go in the office, and it's amazing. By the end of the day, I go, "Wow, I sure had to do a lot today, and I didn't think I did." But I love that going in. I love the the hunt, and I love the victory of putting a transaction together. And if I don't sell a house every two, three, four days, uh, you know, you you start going, "Wow, it feels weird." And so I I don't, I can't know if I can fully answer that. If that helps answer that for some people, but at a certain point, if you love what you're doing, you tend to just go in and put the time and effort in. And there's days that, you know, I get burnt out, and it's nice to take a day off, but it doesn't last very long. I, I want to get back in the game, and I, I enjoy what I'm doing, and just, I just like to be in the office. I need to be, and I will say this. If you are looking to hire your first assistant, anybody listening to this call, that's probably the biggest thing that really straightened out my schedule because when I was hiring someone and paying them 15 bucks or so an hour, and I slept in until 9 o'clock and know they're sitting in the office and I just lost $15 and they may be just sitting there doing nothing because I wasn't there. Really changed my attitude years ago. I had to get up and go find something for Purdue because I didn't want to write a check for someone sitting around in my office. So a little responsibility when you build a team will keep you moving as well.
1: Chad, what drives you?
0: I think that's also changed for me over the years. It used to be I can get in and,
2: you know, make some good money. As I've been doing it for a little while, I really enjoy the growing of the business. Not that we'll ever be perfect, but kind of that pursuit of perfection and becoming one of the best teams in Omaha, It's been really fun because we we do have a good team. We take really good care of our clients. So in the process, we're taking care of people, and they're very happy to work with us and refer people to us, and we become better at what we do and more recognizable here in the metro which is also good because we get quite a few referrals from other people in other cities since we're involved with coaching and, you know, interviews such as this. A lot of people move to this market for relocation, especially with Offutt Air Force Base. It's nice to be able to grow our business and be, make it better and better each and every day has been probably something that drives me more than anything lately.
1: Well, if you all were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
2: what I would recommend to somebody new coming in is, first things first, write a, a list of people that you know, put down their phone numbers, emails, addresses, get a list together of everybody that you know, and then start calling or emailing or, or you know, better yet, I think calls is probably the best one, but also put a business card and a hand-written uh, note and send it out to them. Let them know you're in the business, let them know you're looking for referrals, and over time stay in touch with that group, and I don't care how often you do it. I don't care how you do it, but do it residually and have some type of a marketing calendar written out as to when you're going to stay in touch with these people. When I started out, I didn't have a huge names list and I didn't sell a lot of homes you know, in my first or second year, but I continually stayed in front of these people. And after two years, now we're starting to see leaps and bounds, benefits from that names list getting larger, but also the percentage of referrals that I'm getting is larger. So built, built the business very much like a pyramid where you know it's kind of spread out at the bottom, but it uh, keeps growing taller and taller, and I can grow it to a bigger level than most because I started it right at the beginning by doing a good names list and taking care of those people. And Dad probably has something to say a little bit different than mine, I'm sure, but he probably has some good advice on that as well.
0: Yeah, as I look back at what, and I built my business, and I say, what were the mistakes I made? What would I have done more? Probably the one thing, and I know this sounds like I'm beating the same drum, but is take your schedule, and I learned this and really solidified it even better when I got the coaching under Mike Ferry, get your morning schedule in check get yourself into that office do not let your wife do not let your family your parents think well he doesn't have a job that he has to be at eight o'clock maybe he can run aunt sue to the doctor any of that guard that morning schedule get in in the morning and i spend two hours a day prospecting i don't care if it's go grab a list or postcards and go knock doors make phone calls call for sale by owners Do something to get your name out and add every single day. And at the same time, then, in the afternoon work on that list, just like Chad said, because it's so easy to avoid that list because it's not paying your bills and you need to pay your bills right now. But that list is what's going to pay your bills and give you extra money down the road if you cultivate your your database and you keep contact with these people. I mean, quite often, Chad's very good at the social, and I think it might be more the age group now than my age group was, and he does a lot of things with these people. They have get-togethers and they, uh, they, they got, what's the name of that tournament thing you do that you guys all meet? need a, a bag toss what do they call that cornhole that <laughs> must be a nebraska thing <laughs> but it's a tailgating thing and uh but they socialize through that and it never fails that the longer you're in the business they they start to respect you and you're out meeting with people uh, great another one is to get involved in a church or a social area or a place where you donate your time to to help there's always business that comes from those areas but the biggest thing that I would do and tell a new person is get a very like – from 8.30 to 10.30, you don't do anything else, but get on the phones or go knock doors and, and look for business. Now, a lot of people do very well with open houses. I don't teach that very well because I haven't done it for 15 years. But it's definitely another way to get your name out. But if all you're doing is an open house and you don't go pass out postcards and market to that open before you get there – then only luck is if the right buyer comes in and you happen to sell them a house. So there's just so much more that you can do to, to go out that does not cost a lot of money to develop your business. And that phone's the number one, a postcard, you can print off the printer at your office. It's just not hard to get your name out there, but you've got to take discipline
1: to do it. Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable?
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I'm a member of a Mastermind group where we meet with Uh, eight to ten agents throughout the country, and we meet every week by telephone. And we go over ideas. We go over what's working, what's not working. Because our business is evolving, and it's going to change. Eventually, we'll all be paperless. They've said that for 15 years, which is kind of interesting. But it's uh, getting more and more so with Dropbox and things that we're doing. But there's so much more out there that someone – smarter than myself, figured out, and they said, this works. And I go, wow, I like that idea. We can implement that. And you learn those by listening to other top producers, things that you would never even consider, just like the hybrid agent position we just hired is ideas of a showing agent. I haven't heard much on the home inspection. We might be on the front curve of that one, but definitely the showing agent situation to help you handle more clients at one time and be a good customer service for that client. So you will learn that by listening to these type of shows. I love it. I listen to, I can't even remember very often that I listen to music in my car. It's always an iPod or something going on. That's my education on wheels. And I put those things on and learn, learn, learn. And you're not out of school just because you're out of college or out of high school. And you're now learning a whole new business. And I've spent, I can't, countless thousands of hours listening to either podcasts or we used to have cassettes and then it became MP3, whatever you can get information from to listen to from someone that's already successful at what they're doing. It's the most valuable thing you can do.
1: Well, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Uh, Do you all have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
2: No, I I don't really have any parting thoughts, just uh, as he kind of touched on these interviews, I really appreciate the service that you offer. It's great. There's a lot of different ways to drum up business, but listening to these, you can learn how to do it and do the things that you enjoy doing to create a good, long-lasting business. So I really appreciate the service that you provide.
0: And probably the only other thing that I would that I would do, and I've always done this in my business, simplify it down. If, even if I went to a conference and they came up with 26 great ideas, I'd put them on a piece of paper and I'd pick the top two, the top three, and then I'd work on those. There's no way I can do 26 and learn them and be good at it. So I would only do one or two max three things even at a time that I try to perfect in my business and move forward on and that would be my biggest recommendation for someone new and myself because I, I we have a lot of things we put on our plate this year that we've added with these facebooks and this client appreciation and and we've got to get good at what we're doing before we add a lot of major things else to our business.
1: Well, Brent and Chad, your focus on mastering one thing at a time has paid off. You developed your prospecting skills early. You cultivated your past clients and sphere of influence while adding to your list. You networked for professional referrals. And you used a disciplined schedule to keep you on track. Plus, you learned early that respect is the key to successfully working with your family. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 250 homes last year worth $50 million and went from $300,000 in debt to $3 million per year in passive income. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G. Dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
0: You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.